0: G'day, thanks for joining the Heights Church podcast today. We hope you enjoy our message. If you're in the Sydney area, be sure to join us at the Heights Church at Gorsham Road, Hawnsley
1: Heights, Sydney, area. Good morning, Church. Our Bible reading is from Romans, chapter 9, verses 27 to 33. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. It is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have been like Gomorrah. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have, have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were my works they stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written see i lay in zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame this is the word of the lord
0: i don't know whether in your life There have been times where you've just been blown away by something, like absolutely blown away. Maybe like your football team who is last on the table, trumps the top of the table by 70 points. I don't know. Or your dog named Toby who never comes to you ever, stops in his tracks and stops chasing swallows and comes and sits at your foot. And to think I called him a stupid dog. Have you ever come out of an exam and just thought that I blew that, I failed it, and that your marks come back and you just blitzed it? Has that happened to you? (laughs) That's because you blitz it every time. (laughs) Scientists are blown away every day, aren't they, uh, about how their theories of how things supposed to work are changed by the unexpected, and we're told that in this day and age that we'll never see scientific discovery or tech-, tech advancement like we have in the last 40 years. I used to have a floppy disk you know, that I put in, this, this was about this big, it was almost the size of a record, although you may not know what a record is, so, so it's like we had this computer that you put this floppy thing in and, then, and it held nothing but about the size of one picture nowadays. But I doubt that it's true that we won't see scientific advancements because the boxes that we put things in are generally blown apart every day, aren't they? After all, it wasn't that long ago, really, that people thought the earth was flat. Now, having our box blown apart by science and by technology is one thing because, you know, I love new gadgets, so every time the new Apple stuff comes out, Susan goes, there goes our bank account. But when it comes to relationships, though, surprises are not so welcome. In relationships, we want stability and we want predictability. And even more so when it comes to our relationship with God. We need relationships that are stable and predictable and have character that doesn't change. And we have that in God. But this need for relationships around God and how we think about God has caused some people to flatten God out and place him into their nice little comfortable box. They flatten him out so they don't become uncomfortable with what God is doing. And so people create theologies and theories about who God is and how he acts or how he's supposed to act. And to get some kind of stability, a box where most people create of God And what it looks like is it looks like a big man. Because in a man-shaped box, God is predictable with human emotions and reactions placed upon him. But there's a problem, isn't there? That God is not a man. And therefore, we only know of who God is by what he has revealed to us. And these verses are going to blow your box to bits. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at those things. If you'd like things to be predictable and all planned out, this is going to stretch you. However, we'll discover that even though it might make you feel uncomfortable, it's great news. In fact, it's momentous news because rather than making you uncomfortable and causing you to panic, Romans and what God says through Romans will provide a solid foundation for you to stand And to learn more about the knowledge of God. And as you learn more about the knowledge of God, you'll be more comfortable in just letting go and letting God be God. Rather than trying to shape him to what you want him to be. After explaining about God's love and salvation, Paul concludes in Romans chapter 8 that absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. He writes this, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor things present nor the future, nor powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Incredible, isn't it? Paul is in awe of God, as we should be in awe of God. That nothing in this planet, nothing in this universe will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. And he realises that although there's many things that can separate and divide love within human relationships, God is not human and nothing can separate us from his love. And there's a reason for this great confidence. Because God's love is not dependent upon us. No matter who you are, what you've done, how religious you are, how non-religious you are, even if your whole family doesn't believe in God, God still loves you because he emphatically chooses to love you, not the other way around. Our choice is whether we're going to accept his love or not. And then in chapter 9, which almost seems like a bit of a tangent when you read it, but I believe totally continues the context of Romans chapters 1 to 8. Paul goes on and goes from the high of highs to the low of lows. He is majorly depressed as he reflects upon his brothers who have not chosen to accept God's love. Instead, they try to earn God's love, but God's love can't be earned. It is given. He says this, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. Those of my own blood, my family, my own people, the nation of Israel, have been rejecting that gospel, that good news, that incredible gift of salvation given to them. And you can hear his heart. You can feel it. And there may be many here today that feel the same kind of anguish in your life. There's nothing more devastating than to see a son, a daughter, a brother, a family member, maybe a parent, a friend or a neighbour, someone you love, even a nation, trending away from Jesus and your heart sinks and like Paul you feel helpless. He says, if I could... I would go to hell so that they could go to heaven. But he can't choose hell any more than he can choose heaven, as we'll see later on. So he makes the only choice that he can as a Christian, and that is a ministry with them and a ministry to them. Paul speaks to the Israelites again specifically to those loved ones who are apart from Jesus. And he says to those family members, those sons and daughters, those brothers and sisters, and in doing so, he models to us what we're to do. He tells them the gospel again. Once again, he speaks to them the same message about God's love, his sovereignty, his fairness, his faithfulness. He speaks to them that salvation is by grace. Not because of their race, but by grace. And we see that in verse 1 to 7. He says, here's the thing. My people, the Israelites, think that they were just born into salvation and they don't need to personally respond to Jesus. Maybe you know people like that. Australia is a Christian nation. My family's a Christian, I've gone to church, my grandparents went to church, my great-grandparents went to church, I've been to Sunday school, kids', kids church, my father was a pastor, a deacon, my mum is one of the most respected ladies in our church. I have nine Bibles in, in our church and in the bathroom I have toilet paper that I can read God's Word before I flush. And you might even have the breath mints that Coorong uh, that, that, uh, sells with little Bible verses on it. In cowboy terms, in relation to the blessed nation of the Jews, they were eating in the top paddock. Theirs were the adoptions of sons, theirs were the divine glory, the covenants, receiving the law, the temple worship, the promises, theirs were the patriarchs, and from them it is traced that the human ancestry of Christ, who was God over all, forever and ever, to be praised, Amen. And Israel thinks because of their history, because of their ancestry, they're saved. And then Paul drops the mic. I don't have a mic. I drop it And then Tyler would yell at me for dropping a mic. See, all who were descendants of Israel are not Israel in their heart. Someone once said that God has no grandchildren. He has only children. You're not born into it. Your friends don't pass it on. You must make a decision. It is grace, God's compassion and mercy alone. Salvation is by God's grace, by also his promise. See that in verse 8 and 9. Paul says that salvation is based on his promise and his faithfulness, not our preference. Paul uses the example back. Uh, to back up every single point, uses some kind of illustration. And in this one, he uses the example of Abraham and Sarah. And you might recall the story. It was given to us in, in the kids, uh, kids' story that was on, uh, on but during the offering that God promised a miracle baby who was going to be the ancestor of the Messiah through Abraham and Sarah. But Sarah loses patience with God, God and says to Abraham, why don't you just take my handmaiden? And sleep with her and have a baby with her. And Abraham goes, well, okay. It might seem a little bit out there. But it was a solution to the problem that was just a massive problem to them. You can see they could, they could see no way that God was going to bring about that promise to them because, to have a baby. Because they were like 80 and 90 years old. And where Abraham in the story on the, on the thing goes, huh. Oh, I'm not quite sure Sarah would have had that same response. At 80 years old, I'm going to have a kid. I'm not quite sure that would have been right up there with her response to God. But God is bigger than our boxes and she had a baby and Isaac was born to the promise, God's promise. Not Ishmael who was born of natural will, the one for the handmaiden. Isaac and Ishmael represented nations. And as we know that Isaac... Uh, who God chose to generate a nation of Israel and the Messiah, Jesus, was going to come through that nation. In other words, as Paul writes, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but the children of the promise who were regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated, at the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. And God's promise is fulfilled certainly blew Abraham and Sarah's box apart. How did Abraham and Sarah respond to God blowing their box apart? Well, they laughed. And this is why they named their son Isaac, which means laughter. We laughed about it. And this is how we know that Sarah didn't trust in God, even though God was faithful to his promises, was going to bring it about no matter what Sarah was happening in her mind, she laughed. Because if you really believed the promise of God, I don't think it would have been laughed. it would have been, oh no, and, uh, and Isaac would have been some name that meant weeping and, and pain and anguish. The point is, though, is that God is way bigger than our boxes that we create. It brings us to the third point. Salvation is based on God's grace, on his promise, and on his providence. And this is a tough one. And this aspect aspect of salvation has divided churches and created denominations and even divided nations for years. And let me say, before we start to build a box, it will divide us forever until Jesus returns. Salvation is based on God's promise, providence and not my performance. Paul moves brilliantly in this case to look at Jacob and Esau. And it's important to remember, just as Isaac and Ishmael represented nations, Jacob and Esau do that as well. The chapter has been speaking about people groups and he continues right here. The story is, twin boys were born. Esau was the firstborn, then Jacob, and traditionally the firstborn gets all the privileges. And in this case, Esau should have got all the privileges and the blessings of the family. Or in this case, of God. But here God chooses Jacob, the secondborn. Not just randomly though. God picked him before he was even born. Talk about blowing box bits. New Living Translation puts it brilliantly. It says, Rebecca gave birth to twins, but before they were born, before they had done anything good or bad, she was told the older will serve the younger. This proves that God's choosing according to his own plan, not according to our good or bad works. And you might say, good for Jacob, not so good for Esau. He got a free ride from God. But Paul uses this Jewish idiom to to tell us how it all went down. That Jacob he loved and Esau he hated. The idiom that Jesus used, the same one, where he says, those who do not hate their mother and father will not see the kingdom of God. He doesn't say you need to hate your mother and father. He's just saying in the idiom that what God loves is All of his heart is there. The same as we are told to love God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And if we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, that's all of it. We don't have much else to give other than that. And obviously we don't hate our parents. But we understand what God is saying. To love God with all our heart, mind and strength means that we will completely love him. And it's the same here in Romans 9. God loved Jacob and gave everything to his line. So much that Jesus was going to come through it and not through Esau's line. And it turned out to be right in in, in a way. The line of Jacob produced faithfulness and the line of Esau produced unfaithfulness but God didn't look back at that in hindsight and go, geez, I made a good decision just because it all worked out. No, he knew. He knew how it was all going to work out because of his foreknowledge, through his foreknowledge. You know what? Ephesians says the same to you. Collectively, God's people, the church identified, sealed by the indwelling Holy Spirit, that he chose you the church, before the creation of this world. He chose us as God's people, irrespective of our family tree, whether Jew or Gentile. Before we had any regrets, before you had any regrets, before you had any pride, or as a people of God you had any pride, before you could do anything to make yourself worthy to God, whether good or bad, all of that is all irrelevant because God just picks you. His people, and now we choose to love him because he first chose to love us. What is clear from verses 30 and 33 in chapter 9, speaking about the Gentiles and the Jews, that everyone needs to take responsibility for their own God-given choices. Like Israel needs to Accept the inclusion of the Gentiles as God's choice. So we too must organize and recognize and work our life around God as sovereign and his providence prevails. If God was small enough for me to figure him out, he's not big enough to be God. God is God. So what's our perspective we need to walk in? It's this, that our knowledge, your knowledge and my knowledge is limited. Unfortunately, what happens is that as people grow up in pride and in knowledge, sometimes that divides because they feel as though they know best. And it has divided over the centuries. From chapter nine to chapter eleven, you realise that it's rarely preached because there is so much controversy within it. Let's not miss the point amongst all. Let's not you know what does it say? Let's not see the miss the forest for the trees. God is God, and we need to let Him be God. And we need to sit within the privileges of that. We need to know that God is God and I am not. Someone once said that you can lose your soul denying the sovereignty of God, but you can lose your mind trying to understand it. And I don't know whether you can relate to that or not. We need to conclude that while we don't completely understand how God can be sovereign all, and yet I can have freedom of choice, that God is God and let him be God. It's obvious that I'm not a robot and it's obvious that God is sovereign over all. And it's absolutely massively clear that the Bible teaches both. It's okay to say with Tim Keller, who put it this way, how does it work? I don't know. You're okay to sit in that. I don't know how it works. Why? Because right back at the beginning, remember I said that God has revealed to us what he wants us to know about himself. And what he wants us to know about himself is that his heart is good and he is sovereign over all. And that's the beauty of God, of what he has revealed and made clear to us of what we are now able to know. What does that happen? How does What, what comes out of that? Well, Paul, as Paul, he had a passion throughout Acts to preach salvation to a fallen world. And that's clearly evident. And as we know God is God and has in his sovereignty worked our world and everything in it and knows in his foreknowledge from start to finish, even though he's outside of time, we can't figure that out, But we're assured that when we walk with him, he's going to work in and through us. It prevents pride from our part. gives us a passion to share the gospel. It prevents pride from our part. That God could have treated us like Sodom and Gomorrah that was read for us and turned us into salt. But in his mercy, he's provided salvation. And in that, it produces hope. Back to chapter 8, that nothing can separate us from God's love. Because as Christians, God chose you before the foundation of the world. As sinful as Jacob was, and as Moses was, and as Paul was, and as we are, God chose us to be his church, his people. Why? Why? Like Israel was chosen but failed, God chose us to be a blessing and to reflect the glory of God. How awesome is that? That should blow our mind, should blow our box to bits that God in his mercy and his grace would choose a sinful church. A church that is struggling to remove themselves from the equation and just give all to God, he chooses to use us. He chooses to use you. And he wants you to have a passion to share the gospel to others. He wants you to put yourself aside and allow him to be God in all aspects of your life. That you might believe his promise that you might rest in his sovereignty and in his grace you might realise the salvation that he offers. Now, I don't know whether you've come here today and whether you know that or whether you have been sitting there, like I said at the very beginning, and like Israel did and just feel as though you've become part of the furniture here, you've become part of the furniture of the churches that you've you've gone to over the years, you've been part of that family, that Christian family But you don't really have a relationship with God. That takes a lot of humility. If you have been coming here for years or going to church for years to say, I don't know whether I really walk with the sovereign God. I don't really know whether I let God be God. Because next week, as we get into chapter 10, it's going to say, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord... Wow, if you want to know a box that's going to be blown to bits, next week. Amen. Let's pray. I, uh, I thank you, Lord, for your word in its entirety. I thank you, Lord, for the difficult bits that we try to work through and try to understand. We pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will reveal to us what we need to know. And Lord, as we look at this passage and as we look at chapters 9 through 11, we realise that you are God and we're not. And so we need to let you be you and for us to follow you with passion, eliminating pride and relying upon the promises that you give. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a faithful God. We have faith in a faithful God. And Lord, we see that throughout history. We see that throughout our lives. We speak about that to each other, your faithfulness and your goodness. And I pray that that, your faithfulness in your keeping your promises, in you being God will always be on our lips so that we through the Holy Spirit might be encouraged to serve you more, to live for you, and to trust in you each day. I pray this in your name. Amen.